The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the show. Hope all is well out there. Yeah, welcome to April. Number four of 2022. <laughs> oh, uh, I thought you meant like the fourth April of 2022. No, that's the fourth month. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess it's been kind of a long year. I don't know. Uh, I have one of these things. I don't know if it's the, some kind of synesthesia or something, but the month numbers just feel so right. Oh, okay. And it's just like, yeah, April feels like a four. Hmm. It's probably not synesthesia. It's probably just 30 plus years of associating the month with that number it's obviously it sounds right it'd be weird if it didn't sound right i was like you know april feels like an eight to me but october feels like a four i can't tell you why october should feel like an eight eight. i mean it's right there but it does feel like a 10 i don't know i don't know but it's april woo yay april fool's day apparently this episode's coming out on so oh well we didn't even plan a joke for y'all or did we did we you'll never know (laughs) I'm actually Diana doing an impression of Eli right now, <laughs> and vice versa. We fooled you. Everyone knows that's not true because my impressions are not good. <laughs> They're like, I know that bitch ain't that good. What's, give give the give the listeners your impression of me. 
Oh. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, let's let's oh. hear it. What do you think I sound like, Diana? What do you think I sound like, Diana? <laughs> oh, that sounded so mean. <laughs> do I sound like that? I think you sound like... Um... <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it's very hard. Uh, I feel like I should be able to do you the best because we're around each other all the time. Yeah. But it's almost making it harder because I know so many nuances of your personality. Oh, Let's hear them. So it's tough. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here's On the this spot. is Eli. Okay. Hey babe. Um, what do you want for breakfast this morning? Eggs? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, but how? How do you want your eggs? Like I ask you every morning and you just say <laughs> eggs. And like I don't know how you want to cook, because sometimes you want to scramble and sometimes you want to farm it up. I just wanna say that like if you just tell me how you want your eggs cooked, just that's the only thing I ask. That's a direct that quote. Pretty that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I got your intonation very good, but the energy behind the word, yeah. I think I really nailed. <laughs> yeah. It sounded more frustrated than I intended to sound. I think sometimes you sound more frustrated than you intended. It was the same level of frustration that I was feeling. So, okay. so it can't. You can't. Your communication was good then, yeah. because it came across. I'm to just me. saying. I ask you every day what you want for breakfast, yes, and your answer is always eggs. eggs. And I'm like, I know that. <laughs> That's the easy part. That's the one I didn't even have to ask. Well, sometimes I don't know how I want them yet. (laughs) (laughs) I have to think of of the egg and the Uh, consistency that I want in my mouth. Right. I think it was because today you said eggs and I just said, "Mm -hmm." Mm mm-hmm. And I waited and then you went to the other room and you sat down on the couch. I didn't answer the question. (laughs) That's well, what it's I thought like that was over a here, folks. Pretty good impression. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Can I hear your impression of me? My impression you think of you. I can, my heart can handle it. Uh, yeah. Um. <clears throat> uh, hello, good people. This is Doubtfire. <laughs> that's not. That's what I hear. Wow. Is that not what you that's think you what sound like? I sound like to you. Oh man. All right. Legit. All right, here's my impression go, of you. Go. Um, and then she's like looking at her phone. She never answers the oh question. Oh my god! <laughs> it's like I'll say, "Hey, what do you want to do?" And you'll say, "Um," and that's the last I'll hear you say for the next forty-five minutes. I'll say, "Hey, remember when I asked you what you want to do?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, I forgot." Um, listener, you can't see <laughs> the look that I'm giving him, but I promise you that it is. Withering. <laughs> I do feel withered. That's for sure. But, oh, come on. Enough about us. <laughs> right? Yeah, not... that sounds good. I'd like less of that, whatever that was. <laughs> we're, uh, you know, we're, we're not the ridiculous romance you came here to hear about. No, today we have a very interesting story. This episode was suggested to us um, by Samantha M. on Instagram. Uh, your handle is at Sam C. Combs. So thank you, Samantha, for this little rabbit hole that yes, I went down. Yes, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is a nice one to get uh, to ease back into our biographies, too. That's true. Right? Tell a historical tale uh, that's, you know, somewhat centered around romance mm-hmm. uh, in yeah, its own special right. way. Well, and funnily enough, we did not plan this, but this happens to be also about a big slap that was heard around oh, the world. <laughs> <laughs> so it <laughs> definitely is playing into some uh, topical things. Yeah, sure. This story is about Victor Noir and more importantly, his grave. So Victor Noir was just a journalist in 1869 France. 
Uh, He was writing for a Republican newspaper who criticized Bonaparte rule. And in life, just kind of a regular guy. In death, he became a revolutionary symbol. Mm. But it was after he was buried that really cemented his place in history and got him an episode on Ridiculous Romance. (laughs) So let's hear about how this average everyday journalist became an enduring fertility symbol. I love it. Let's go. Hey there, friends. Come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So let's start with a little bit about the French Revolution. Oh, look, we can't get on this show without talking about the French yeah. Revolution. Love the French Revolution. Every five weeks, you know. <laughs> know. <laughs> it's going to come true up. It's how, how often it hits. Like even Governor Morris was had some French Revolution in it. Oh, yeah, sure. So many of our episodes. Look, I'll tell you, it's it's we, we try to like really spread ourselves across the world and hit different cultures and mm-hmm. different ideas and stuff like that. But at the end of the day... You cannot talk about absurd romantic stories without being heavily involved with the French. Very true. Yeah. Extremely true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to keep coming back here. I love it. I know, right? So, yes. So the French Revolution began in 1789. They overthrew King Louis, who met his end by the guillotine, along with his queen, Marie Antoinette. And we have had several requests for a King Louis, Marie Antoinette episode. Uh We're definitely going to have to tackle this history a little more fully when we do that couple. We will. We will. Uh, Because obviously very much affected their lives. (laughs) (laughs) But just quickly, we'll say, just sketch it out for you here. France became heavily bankrupted because they assisted the American Revolution. Oopsie, sorry. (laughs) But also because of the profligate spending by the king, so not just our fault. (laughs) Heavy taxes were imposed on the working class to make up for this, but they didn't get any relief or assistance for their money. So they got super pissed, like we all do when we're in the bad end of a bad deal. You're telling me... <laughs> the French government, any government, went out, spent a bunch of money on a war mm-hmm. that they practically had no business getting involved with, and well, then <laughs> and then taxed the people for it, and what? they got mad that they put the 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 whole bill on them. Yeah, I've yeah. never heard such a thing. And they got mad about it. I've never heard such nonsense. <laughs> I barely believe it. My head is spinning. <laughs> So, yeah, they're all pissed. Uh, Working class is pissed. All these royal advisors saw how bad it was getting. So they got together and they're like, "Uh, Hey, uh, the commoners are getting angry that we are taking all their money, but uh, giving nothing in return. Ah, these commoners, they are so petty. Uh, there's one thing poor people like to do. It's complain about being poor. Am yeah, I right? <laughs> Come on. It's like, we get it already. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, we must do something. Uh, what if we get the money we need from people who uh, have money to spare? Qua? <laughs> Qua? You mean tax the wealthy? Oh, you're so crazy. I love it. Let's do it. (laughs) Oh, merci. (laughs) But of course, the actual wealthy French people did not respond like that. They responded more like, 
Oh, hey, wait a minute. Just because I am reaping the benefits of living in this country, and this country is in dire need of financial assistance right now, and I have more money than I know what to do with, why should I be the one to step up? Seems very rude. Yes, uh, what is this, uh, communist uh, country of some sort? <laughs> I mean, so what if the government is out of cheddar, huh? Let them eat Brie. Ah. Uh, nobody's gotten in trouble for saying something like that before. Never. <laughs> in France. <laughs> so King Louis, basically, he was getting shit from rich and poor alike. So right. they tried to place this land tax on the wealthy. The wealthy were like, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> So anyway, he wants everyone to pay. Nobody wants to pay. Tail is old as time. Yeah, nobody's happy when the government's taking their money. Right. Surprise, surprise. What? And eventually this all came to a head, so to speak, Oh. Uh, with a lot of murders of royalty and nobility. Yes, a lot. Many, many, many A murders. lot of murders. But of course, a revolution, you know, they're messy. It's not a it's not a quick clean act mm-hmm. as we've seen. Power loves a vacuum. So once there was no king, mm-hmm. um once the crown had been removed, so to speak, <laughs> what kind of government did the French people want, right? At first, they thought they were going to be totally cool with a constitutional monarchy, which is where you have a king or queen sit on the throne, but they have to co-rule with a constitutionally organized government that was more representative of the people. Yeah, it kind of sounds like the Queen of England sort of. Yeah, yeah. Like you're here, but it's not like you can just wave your scepter and things happen for you. Mm -hmm. You've got to deal with representatives as well. So after killing just an absolute ton of people, (laughs) a boatload, well, a big boat. A very big boat. Over 17,000 people were tried and executed in only a 10-month period. And this is what's now called the Reign of Terror. Mm. But after this, a five-member directory was created, and these directors were appointed by parliament. But, of course, these directors were inept and corrupt, and they relied pretty hard on the army, which was led by a young general named Napoleon Bonaparte. And they used him to maintain their power. But eventually, unsurprisingly, Napoleon was probably looking around like, Hmm, uh, seems like uh, I'm the real power here. Right. (laughs) So he went ahead, staged a coup d'etat, appointed himself France's first consul, and then created France into an empire and crowned himself emperor. And this was the start of imperial rule in France. And a bunch of people were not cool with this because imperial rules a lot like a monarchy. I right. mean, <laughs> not much different. <laughs> One guy with a scepter. Okay. So we're like, it we kind of were like get melting down all the scepters. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Sort of over the scepter look. Uh-huh. Going for a different uh, aesthetic now. <laughs> and the thing is, you see, every time someone is, becomes emperor, they always crown themselves. It's never mm-hmm. like a group decision to have an emperor. Very true. It's always one guy saying, yeah, I'm going to do this it's now. It's me. <laughs> so obviously some people are upset about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, these folks that did not get a say, I imagine, (laughs) in who got to be emperor or whether there even was one, they were still hoping to establish France as a republic of the people, you know. And this clash eventually led to a second French Revolution in 1848 when King Louis-Philippe I's constitutional monarchy was overthrown and Napoleon Bonaparte's nephew, Louis Napoleon Bonaparte, was elected president. Okay. So Louis Bonaparte, this guy was popular. He had some good ideas, mm-hmm. but you know, 
power went to his head, he kind of turned himself into an authoritarian president. But he wasn't even happy with that level of power. So not long after his election, he, just like his uncle, launched a coup d'etat, reformed the constitution, and crowned himself Emperor of France, Napoleon III. Mm, we remember him. Oh, Napoleon III. <laughs> if you remember from our uh, brief little episode about Maximilian and yes. Carlotta of Mexico. <laughs> Not in depth at all. <laughs> he's the one who sent them over uh, to rule Mexico as an empire. Mm-hmm. Now, plenty of people who had previously supported Prince President Louis Napoleon Bonaparte did not approve of Emperor Napoleon III. They were like, you want to be a prince? You want to be a president? Great. We love that. Oh, you want to crown yourself emperor? Ah, not so sure. This feels a little like something I do not like. A bit dicey. (laughs) Right. So how did these people express their displeasure? Well, the best way you could back then, with newspapers. Yay, the fourth estate. Yay, freedom of the press. (laughs) I don't know why we're, it sounds like we're mocking the press. I know, right? It's not I, mean, I actually the do appreciate here. the Fourth Estate. Yeah. But kind of like now, I guess you could say, or any time in, in history, there's plenty of newspapers that had a very, very skewed bias oh, yeah. in their news. Yeah, sure. And there were two such newspapers. They were radical Republican newspapers called La Revanche and La Marseillaise. They were owned by Henri Rochefort and edited by Pascal Grousset. And fun fact, Pascal Grousset actually wrote sci-fi novels, including cool. one about like how they wanted to, they, they were launching a mission to like bring the moon closer to the earth or something. <laughs> so moonfall. He wrote moonfall. He wrote Moonfall. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> That's so funny. Wow. Uh, but I love that in the 18, you know, 60s, he's, or eight, I guess it was actually after this, so it was probably 1880s, 1890s. Uh-huh. He's thinking all these same kind of things about space and oh, stuff. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. He collaborated with Jules Verne. Awesome. Quite a lot. He was the first to translate Treasure Island into French. Oh. So kind of a cool guy. But at this point in history, he's like editing these radical newspapers. He's trying to influence politics and get away from an imperial government. Uh-huh. And one of the newspaper's employees was a writer named Victor Noir. Victor was born Ivan Salman in northeast France in 1848. He was the son of a Jewish cobbler who had converted to Catholicism. So, wait, this guy's name was Ivan Salman, and he thought, no, 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 man, I need a cooler name than that. What about Victor Noir? I know, right? Like in the the shadows, like he's like (laughs) a Batman. Right? He's doing like a deep throat thing. (laughs) (laughs) I am Victor Noir. It's said that he liked to stand so that half his face was always in Oh, shadow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> this It'd guy is like, cool. Victor, find your light. <laughs> now, when he decided to become a writer, uh, after first trying and failing to be a watchmaker and then a florist, which I wonder how you failed at being a florist. Look, I would fail at being a florist. I have tried just to be a florist at home. That's so true. You know, you times. say that and you're absolutely right. I have no green thumb <laughs> myself, so maybe he just killed all plants like right. I do. Um, so anyway, he decided, I'm going to become a writer. He chose the pen name Victor Noir after his mother's maiden name. Yeah, but he still thought, but he still thought it was, that's yeah. a cool name, oh, yeah. Victor oh, yeah. Noir. So anyway, La Marseillaise was Victor Noir's first apprenticeship as a journalist. And apparently he wasn't really much of a revolutionary or a Republican. Like, I don't think he really cared about politics at all. Yeah. <laughs> Either in word or action. <laughs> he was just... But he was paid basically just like, you know what? A job's a job. Sure. <laughs> Whoever wants to hire me, I'm here to Absolutely. collect my check. <laughs> so in December of 1869, 
La Revanche published an article railing against the imperial rule of Napoleon III and of Napoleon I and of basically just about everything that's happened since the First Revolution. On the website Marxists.org, Prosper Olivier Le Sagare wrote that the bourgeois of France, quote, allow Napoleon III to plunder France, make her the vassal of Rome, dishonor her in Mexico, mm. ruin her finances, vulgarize debauchery. Oof. Harsh so, words. Harsh indeed. And th these aren't words from the actual piece in La Revanche. This was, again, written later. Mm -hmm. um, but we kind of chose these because they sort of contextualize the fight that was going on, the kind of tone that was going on in the newspaper at the time. These were the complaints that the revolutionaries had against Napoleon III. Mm -hmm. So the piece in La Revanche was inspired from afar by Pascal Grousset. That's right. He was probably just like, hey, you know, write a piece about Napoleon sucks. <laughs> yeah. And one of the writers was like, I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm ready. I'm sharpening my pen nibs right now. Get it out. Publish that toot sweet. Well, as usual, not everybody liked this little op-ed. Mm. Least of all, a guy named Prince Pierre Bonaparte. Oh, and Maybe you can Bonaparte. see why, that, that old name there. <laughs> <laughs> Pierre was the pompous nephew of Napoleon I. He was the cousin of Napoleon III. And at least at first, he had actually been on the side of the Republicans. Oh, he was okay. not very supportive of Emperor Napoleon yeah, III. Not down with this whole empire thing. No. As, sure. a, po as a politician, when he was active in politics, uh -huh. he actually was like, ooh, that coup was not cool. He voted with the socialists. Wow. He was just very much about the Republic of France. Okay. Um, very publicly. Yeah. And apparently that kind of helped Napoleon's presidential campaign sure. uh, for, for his, you know, relative to be out there being like, yay, yeah. Bonaparte rule, but a, as a president, republic, everything's going to be great. Yes. And then as soon as Napoleon was like, actually, I'm going to be an emperor, Napoleon III, Pierre was like, boo, not cool. Yeah. But then Napoleon III went over to Pierre and was like, hey, um... What about if I made you a prince? <laughs> and okay. suddenly Pierre's politics took a giant swing oh. <laughs> in another direction. <laughs> Unknown reasons, I'm sure. Actually, I was wrong. It turns out that the Emperor Napoleon is a great idea, yes. everybody. We should all be on board. By the way, call me prince. Turns out being a monarch, pretty cool. <laughs> So, yeah, they reconciled. Pierre accepted the title of prince. After that, obviously, the radical Republicans were like, um, okay. They dropped this guy like a bad habit. Uh -huh. He went on to lead kind of a hedonistic life. He wrote some mediocre poems. He did nothing of political importance at all. Okay. Except for what's about to go down. Oh. So let's find out more about that after a little break. Let's go. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season... We are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Okay, so our boy Pierre, Mm -hmm. the cousin of Napoleon III, but now Prince. Right, Prince Peter. Um, he's pissed about this mean old piece of writing about his family that's going around in La Revanche, mm-hmm. right? This this article that's written that's totally decrying all of the imperial stuff that's been going on with the Bonapartes. So he decides to do some writing of his own. Time for a strongly worded letter. <laughs> so he picks up a quill a few <laughs> days after La Revanche article came out. His response was published as a letter to the editor in the rival newspaper, L'Avenir de la Corse, which was loyal to the emperor. Mm-hmm. He denounced the writers and the editors of La Revanche as cowards and traitors. 
Well, that, of course, really pissed off Pascal Grousset over at La Revanche, and he demanded satisfaction. He challenged Pierre to a duel. This is like if, if I don't know, if like uh, Don Lemon. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Sean Hannity. And, and Sean Hannity were like, I challenge you to a duel. <laughs> right. That was such an overreaction. <laughs> so Pierre was like, okay. I'm down to fight somebody, Mm -hmm. but not Pascal. Mm -hmm. He wanted to face his fellow nobleman, Henri Rochefort, Mm. who would have been the guy like the head honcho over there. Yeah, who owned the paper. Mm -hmm. So Pierre wrote in a letter to Rochefort, quote, After having outraged each of my relations, you insult me with the pen of one of your menials. My turn had to come. Only I have an advantage over others of my name of being a private individual while being a Bonaparte. I therefore ask you whether your ink pot is guaranteed by your breast. I live not in a palace, but at 59 Rue d'Autuil. I promise to you that if you present yourself, you will not be told that I left. Damn, so he's literally like, uh, I want to make sure that your ass can cash that check that you're writing. Yep. And I ain't no fancy, you know, emperor or king up in a palace somewhere. Right. Here's my address. Mm-hmm. Come see me. Guess what? I'm not going to run. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get there and find out that I'm, oh, he's out right now. He can't see you. He says, oh. I'm going to meet you on the street. I'm ready and waiting Damn. for you, Henri. Some harsh words. Harsh words. Well, Pascal was kind of like, you know what? I don't care you want to fight Henri. I'm the one challenging you, and Uh-oh. I'm still standing by my challenge. All so right. I will come to 59 Rue d'Atuil. <laughs> Toot sweet. <laughs> so Pascal selected his seconds, Ulrich de Fonvier and Victor Noir. Victor Noir? That's our guy. And both these guys were employed at the newspaper. Okay. And... They both clearly were in dire need of the Lin-Manuel Miranda penned 10 Jewel Commandments song <laughs> because they clearly had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> right. Those rules lay it out very clearly. It's true. And there is some accuracy in them from our research. True. There's yeah. actually way more than 10, by the way. Oh, There's sure. many, many more about all kinds of ways you can apologize, when to oh, apologize, wow. how They're to apologize, really how to formalized accept it. an apology. It's very Kind of takes the fun out of it, you know? A little bit. Yeah. But if you're going to, like, use a gun to solve every imagined or real slight upon yeah. you or your family, yeah. I, I guess it makes sense to have a lot of rules about it. <laughs> right, right. Um, rule number one, don't use a gun. I mean, okay. <laughs> How about that? Rule one number talk it out. <laughs> <laughs> agree to disagree. Agree to, agree to D. So one of the rule, one of the many rules of dueling is that your seconds confer with the other guy's seconds, and they try to solve the dispute without ever going to the dueling fields. There's a reconciliation has to be worked on right. first. And that's kind of how most duels ended. M- many duels never ended up actually being, you know, meeting on the field at sunrise and right. being 10 paces apart and all that shit. Yeah. Mostly they ended with like, all right, fine, I'm over it. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> I wanted was drunk to get at the shot. Time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, especially if, you know, you weren't sure about your skill versus the other guy's yeah. skill. Um, so, yeah, most duels did not end very bloodily or anything like that. But Victor and Ulrich didn't conform to these rules. They skipped the seconds completely, and they went straight to Pierre's house to talk to him personally. (laughs) In January 1870, they confronted him directly at his home. 
And apparently they both showed up armed. Ulrich had a revolver and Victor had a sword cane, which is cool. <laughs> <laughs> now, according to Ulrich de Fonvier, Pierre was offended that they weren't following the dueling customs. And he didn't want to deal with these menials, as they were, were calling them, but these, these minions. Mm-hmm. So he was more than happy to duel his fellow nobleman, Rochefort, as he said in his letter. That's right. But... Grousset and the rest could get the fuck out of here, mm-hmm. right? I don't feel like dealing with you. You're nobody to me. Mm-hmm. I could kill all three of you, and I'm still not going to be satisfied. So why don't you just get out the way, let the grown-ups handle it. Yes. Y'all get out of here. So he then slapped the 22-year-old Victor in the face and shot him dead. <clears throat> now, according to Pierre... Victor was offended at being called a menial, and he slapped Pierre in the face, whereupon Pierre shot him dead in response. Mm. Now, this was the version that was eventually accepted by the court. And all we can think is that if only, if only their slap had been as widely televised as another slap that we could say that was heard around the world. There would be so many terrible takes oh, in just La Revanche cons- and others. Everybody would have published a letter in uh, response. Well, kind of like that, this incident was immediately politicized. People were furious about a journalist being killed at the hands of an imperial prince. And Victor Noir became a symbol of revolutionary politics. Yeah. Like, it basically became sort of mandatory. It was like civic duty for any Republican to attend his funeral. Oh, wow. Um, and there was apparently that perce- like a funeral procession of 100,000 or some sources say 200,000 people. Wow. That, like, showed up to mourn Victor Noir and his martyrdom for the revolution. Right. And this was a guy who just happened to take this job. He didn't even care that much about the politics. Not really. But because a... <laughs> because a Imperial prince shot him dead. He's he's this symbol without ever having meant to be. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Also, anytime a Republican stood for election, they basically had to say the slogan, Il a été a convoi de Victor Noir, which means he was in Victor Noir's convoy. And I think probably a more accurate translation is like, you know, I was in the procession. You know, right. I followed Victor Noir. Yeah. I'm a fan of Victor Noir. I stand with Victor Noir. Right. Um. So, yeah, right away, like literally before he's cold, you know, he's a huge revolutionary symbol. They all had to put that hashtag in their Twitter bios. And when Pierre was ultimately acquitted of murder at his trial, there was a huge outcry and a number of violent demonstrations According to Andy Royston's piece, Scandal in the Graveyard on JackQuo.com, the jury during this trial heard Victor Noir, quote, portrayed as a thug who assisted various Republican writers to go around and beat up opponents or people they disliked with (laughs) impunity. Medical evidence showed that Noir, far from just slapping Prince Pierre, hit such a blow on his cheek as to cause it to swell. So maybe punched him real hard or something. Okay. So they dismissed the murder charge as self-defense. I don't know. It seems like 
if you're in self-defense, like your defense should match the aggression right. that you're defending against. Right. Instead of like, oh, someone slapped me, so I shot him dead. That seems <laughs> yeah. like not a fair. Well, what way was to I supposed that. to do? He might have slapped me again. <laughs> then I would be slapped twice. <laughs> I had to do whatever I could to prevent that outcome. <laughs> Take a, a man's life. Outcome. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a lot. I also just like, I'm seeing this slap punch in the face and this mm-hmm. prince just, oh, oh, how dare you? <laughs> I never, why I never. My I'm patches. Go- I'm going to shoot you dead. <laughs> I don't know why he's British all of a sudden. but <laughs> What happened? It's Pete just Pierre? pompous. <laughs> He slapped the French out of him. (laughs) (laughs) You slapped the French out of me. (laughs) My goodness. So, yeah, Pierre basically walks away free of charge. No problem for him. Meanwhile, La Revanche was seized by the government. Wow. And Henri Rochefort and Pascal Grousset both went to prison for six months each. Well, you know, when your imperial government... Uh, when you're the imperial government and one of your princes gets away with murder and then the newspaper that was speaking out against you gets shut down and its editors arrested, that's just, that's the, that's the system. That's fair legal mm-hmm. system, fair trial, mm-hmm. uh, clearly uh, nothing going in anyone's favor on this one. <laughs> I mean, no strings so, being pulled. What did they go to prison for? I have to, I'm like, for having a paper? I guess, <laughs> I, Les Majeste kind of stuff? I guess. Or like Henri Rochefort particularly didn't have much of a part to play in this. Right. Except that this guy wanted to pick a fight with him. Yeah. So I'm like, that guy was probably like hanging out, eating dinner or something and suddenly got <laughs> shot. What? what? Quoi? Yeah. The arrest. What's funny about all this is that it kind of ended up not mattering very much because later in 1870, the Franco-Prussian War led to the overthrow of Napoleon III. They established the Third Republic, and that's kind of the end of the story until Victor Noir's body was moved to the Père Lachaise Cemetery in 1891. So let's find out more about that after this short break. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season... We are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. 
I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show, everybody. All right. Well, we know what you're thinking here, right? Mm -hmm. Where the hell... Is the romance. I know, with two commercial breaks and nothing sexy. Right? This is all just a bunch of dudes running around slapping each other. <laughs> There's nothing sexy about that. Yeah. <laughs> What's hot about that? All right. Okay, here it comes. This is where it gets good. Because in 1891, the Third Republic decided that they needed to create a new monument to Victor's martyrdom. They're thinking, this is a guy who who died trying to stand up uh, to imperial, you know, to the, to to an imperial prince trying to push people around, mm-hmm. you know, he's trying to stand up for freedom of speech, mm-hmm. and he died in the process. So they built this new monument for him in Père Lachaise Cemetery, and this was going to be sculpted by Jules Dalou. Now Jules decided to cast Victor in bronze in a realistic style. He would be on his back as though he had just fallen on the street, dropping his hat beside him. That's yeah, a cool guess, statue. Yeah, it's not he just wanted a, it to look like he had just been shot, I right, guess, by this asshole. Right, really immortalized like, the, his martyrdom, like mm-hmm. the moment where it all happened. Yeah. You know, and not just a guy standing there mm-hmm. like any other dude just standing there, but... It's well made, too. A lot of good details. Like oh, the nice. The clothes and everything. You know, mm-hmm. sculpting's so hard, but a lot of times oh, yeah. they make in these metal and, and rock, 
these beautiful layers and clothes, like soft looking clothes and veils and stuff. It's very, it's I, I admire it a No, lot. sculpture is my, my, I, I get my favorite art form. I don't know. It's the one that consistently I am blown away by yes. every piece of sculpture I've ever seen. <laughs> I know, Seriously, like, if you have a piece of a rock or a piece of metal and you, I mean, paperclip animals, and I'm like, wow. What? Incredible. <laughs> this was just a paperclip, and now it looks like a giraffe. Mm. I am amazed. Incredible. So Dalu makes this sculpture. Andy Royston writes, quote, he was now a romantic, heroic figure, quite unlike how he had been in real life. As we talked about, like, Pierre you know, he wasn't even really trying to do anything. He mm -hmm. just happened to get killed in such a way that made him a martyr for the Republic. Mm -hmm. Now, this statue did have a unique feature because for whatever reason, Jules Delu gave Victor a pretty sizable bulge in the crotch of his pants. <laughs> he's laying back. He's dropping his hat. He's presumably has just been shot. He's got a semi? But... Uh, <laughs> But uh, Victor's like, you know, let's give him a little boost here. Let's give him a little reputational boost, I guess. <laughs> Let me pull into Speculation Station. Okay. And, and I want to know, I want to speculate why he chose to give him a bulge. Do you think he How was come? just like really realistic and uh -huh. he's like, this is what it looks like when a man lays down. There's something in his pants. Yeah. There's, we all know that. Right. There's a bulge there. Whatever. <laughs> uh -huh. Or do you think he was like, man, this guy was a real martyr. You know what? <laughs> I want to give him some big dick energy. Hey, uh, you know what? I'm going to say Jules Dalou himself was quite well endowed and he didn't know any better. Oh, he didn't know the shit. difference. He was like, this is what it looks like when you lie down. I don't know. Uh, you've got this huge mound at the front of your <laughs> pants and you cannot hide it. Victor in death is like, wow, merci. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you, thanks to this defining feature of this sculpture, <laughs> a myth kind of grew about his his monument. Uh -huh, his monument his is that what we're calling monument, it? His monument. His monument. Monument. Oh my god. Uh, and this is this myth kind of maybe started maybe around the 1970s. Hard to peg. Uh, oh man. Uh, hard they to peg. Get it. Hey. hey. They loved dicks in the 1970s. True. So of course, every statue that they could find, they're like, how? How does he look? How is it? Oh, this one's pretty good. <laughs> Compelling. <laughs> uh, so this myth grew that if women kissed his bronze lips and rubbed on his bronze bulge, uh, they would get married within the year. Oh, um, okay. And then that myth grew even further to include all kinds of good things that could happen, including uh, getting pregnant, falling in love. Um, or just having a blissful and idyllic sex life oh. from now on. <laughs> just from rubbing this guy's... I know. I'm like, what did Victor Noir have anything to do with sex at all? <laughs> right? Like, so funny. But this all happened because of this bulge. I guess everybody's eyes were just immediately drawn <laughs> to this one area of the sculpture. The story also goes that Victor was supposedly um, supposed to get married the day after he was shot. Oh, okay. Uh, so maybe that contributed, but I couldn't find any verification for that. So it might just be part of the whole fertility myth. That right, there was it grew some, around it. it. Grew around it, hey. that, that he was like, yeah, had some romance going on in his life uh -huh. or something like that. But again, there's really not a lot to back that up. When you have kind of a, of a loosely formed story, you know, it's easy for other facts to kind of come in and penetrate it. Mm -hmm. um, they can really just like poke up out of nowhere, um, kind of surprise you. <laughs> you can just insert anything. 
<laughs> into a pocket like that. Um, <laughs> so at any rate, this fertility myth has made Victor Noir's grave one of the most popular to visit in the Père Lachaise Cemetery, which is saying a lot yeah. considering uh, the amount of celebrities that are Seriously. Uh, buried there. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Morrison and Oscar Wilde. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Women will visit and passionately kiss his mouth. They will get up on the statue and, like, grind up on him. (laughs) They'll give the bulge a little caress just with their fingertips, maybe, if they're shy. Okay. (laughs) Some women a little shyer than others, I imagine. (laughs) And the rest of his statue is that gray-green color. Uh, which, by the way, is a name. I didn't know this. It's called verdigris. Oh, okay. That's the color of, like, the way the Statue of Liberty looks right. now. Used to be bronze, uh-huh. obviously, a different color. Um, but it gets oxidized. It turns into this gray-green color mm-hmm. we're all very familiar with. So Victor's whole statue is this verdigris color, except for <laughs> his mouth and his bulge, which are noticeably <laughs> shinier than the rest from all of the contact with human hands. Right. And this is just a funny thing about bronze statues. You can find this, uh, uh, statues of dogs particularly have yeah. this because people will pet their heads or their noses, mm-hmm. which I think is so cute. It's such a human thing. Oh, yeah. To just be like, oh, a cute dog, even though it's not a real dog. <laughs> you just like pet him. And quite a few statues will have kisses on their lips or okay. if they have any kind of sexual part, you can see what people like to touch on them. <laughs> uh, so this is happening to Victor's grave and all the pictures are just so obvious. <laughs> it's very funny. And also, once you're satisfied after oh. you've visited Victor and you've rubbed up on him however you want. <laughs> once Victor's given you all he can give. All he can give you. <laughs> you are supposed to leave a flower in his hand or in his hat to thank him for his services. Oh, that's polite. Isn't it? Yeah. I think that's such a nice touch. you got to yeah. show up with a flower. You're not just supposed to grind up on a guy, leave him feeling cheap. Right. you got to show appreciation. Right. Um, so if you happen to go to Père Lachaise and there's a rose or two in Victor's hat, <laughs> he got some that day, baby. Oh, lucky Victor. <laughs> wow. I'm wondering about, uh, is it just women? Like, okay. you know, if I'm feeling frisky and I and I want to boost my sex life, mm-hmm. uh, can I can I go uh, give give myself a ride on on Victor's on grave Victor's here? Victor's grave? I have to wonder that too because I mean it it does say women particularly um, to get married within the year. That's sort right. of where the story started. Okay. So I wonder if it's just yeah if it's just about getting pregnant. You know, just very women based things. Well. But I think you're right. Surely plenty of men would be interested in, right. in an idyllic sex life. And of course, we know not just women can get pregnant. Right. So I, I suppose yeah. anybody can go uh, have a ride, have a good time have with Victor. I wonder if anyone's ridden his face and <laughs> kissed his bulge. Well, you know, switched it up a little bit. I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to say definitely yes. <laughs> you're probably right. <laughs> if you can think if you can dream it, someone's done. Someone's it. done it. Exactly. <laughs> Now, okay, maybe in all this, you're like me and you're thinking, I don't, why am I going to kiss the same statue that for decades now does hundreds, maybe thousands of people have been putting their lips on as well? Diseases, right? Uh, Just just the transfer of saliva in general. I'm against in that respect. I am against it. (laughs) But at least in terms of the diseases, fortunately, you may have learned this in recent years during the pandemic, as I have, uh, copper and its alloys, bronze and brass, 
are antimicrobial. Mm -hmm. They apparently kill 99.9% of bacteria, uh, but it does take within two hours for that to happen. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you're in line to give old Victor a smooch here uh, <laughs> on his face or bulge, <laughs> Maybe maybe give it a couple hours before, before <laughs> after the, the last after guest. the last person. <laughs> yeah, I imagine someone in line like there's a big crowd uh -huh. and they keep trying and they're well I'll wait I'll wait a minute but then somebody then else someone else shows yeah. up and they're just there all night <laughs> <laughs> trying to get up there like waiting watching their clock. I like this idea in our head that there is constantly like a ninety person <laughs> line outside this grave. <laughs> It can't be that many. People. I seriously doubt it. <laughs> but in my mind, it's just an enormous crowd. <laughs> right, right. Every day since 1972. <laughs> just at least 50 people crowding around. <laughs> but then around 2004, 2005, cemetery management got kind of over it. They were a little upset about all these women getting up and literally grinding on this tomb. So they put a fence around Victor's grave, along with a sign warning that they would prosecute any damage caused by, quote, indecent rubbing. Mm. So France's biggest buzzkills coming in <laughs> and saying, stop disgracing this poor man's grave. You know that grave, the, the grave maintenance workers are uh -huh. just like, God damn. Every time I try to go over there and mow the grass, there's right. some crazy lady <laughs> trying to have a good sex life. Meanwhile, if if desecrating a grave does matter to someone in the afterlife, I kind of wonder if Victor's not looking down Victor's and being like, like no, take know, the right? fence down. Are you kidding me? This <laughs> wow. is the most axed I've ever got. <laughs> He's like, this is amazing. I've Nobody been... wanted to grind on me in life. <laughs> I've been getting a steady trickle since 1972. <laughs> steady trickle. <laughs> Gross. But here's the kicker. A well-known Paris TV reporter named Perry Cochin led this kind of tongue-in-cheek protest that allowed women to put their tongues on Victor's cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> and even though this was like actually something kind of a joke, like this protest wasn't really happening. It was sort of like a fake report about yeah, it happening. Yeah. The, the cemetery took the fence down. <laughs> Which I love it. He's like, all these women are very upset about this and they're enraged. And the cemetery's like, oh, okay, fine. Fine. Take it down. What harm could it do? And I, oh, and um, famously, Dita Von Teese did go visit Victor Noir oh, yeah? as well. I guess after the fence came down. Oh. And there's lots of pictures of her, you know, sexily grabbing his face. <laughs> sexily. You know, sexily. <laughs> That's a word, right? <laughs> oh, it tells you how sexy sexily, I am. Yes. How sexily I do things around here. Say it to me, sexily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about what it's like. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. Seductively there you go. grabbing his face and and jumping up on him and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you want to see those, they're pretty hot. <laughs> I guess. That's amazing. I can't believe we went to Père Lachaise and we didn't notice a guy with the gleaming bronze bulge. All right. I was like, so many, I wish we had done this podcast before we got into Père Lachaise yeah. because we would visit many different graves now than we did. Yeah. Uh, when we were there. Once again, we'll we'll just have to come back. Oh, no. We'll have to petition the government of France to bring us over. So if you're in the government of France and you want to sponsor our trip to Paris, <laughs> please contact know. us. 
I did. We did have one uh, listener reach out and say something about how we should do a tour of France and yeah. like, do French history. And I was like, yeah. uh, please. That Absolutely. sounds like, oh, amazing. The problem is we're going to have done all these episodes before we ever get there. So we'll just have we'll to just retell redo them. them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just redo them. So, yeah, it's just so interesting. This story is fascinating because there was just this 22-year-old, like, whatever, trying to live his life. Yeah. And then now he's. It's just gone. He's just had such a journey in death, right? To becoming a revolutionary symbol that he never really cared about, uh-huh. and then a fertility symbol that I mean, who knows <laughs> if he right? was actually like a player in life? Yeah, we just don't know anything about what he was like. Yeah, he's been very obscured by this, this, these myths that kind of sprung I, up around him. I do know that he, by the time he was twenty-two, he was a failed watchmaker and florist. True, which is like, I mean, I know. You know, 19th century, you started things a lot earlier back then. But geez, by 22, I hadn't even begun to decide a career for myself. I had yet to fail. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I hadn't started anything to fail. This guy's failed two things already. That's true. So does that speak to desperation or ambition? Oh, good question. Or do you think he was just like, I'm just trying to get paid. I don't care. I work <laughs> yeah. for this watchmaker. He fucking sucked. I, I don't like gears. So I was like, fine. <laughs> oh, man, I hate gears. How did I gears, end up in this, this stupid sucks. job? <laughs> so I went to flowers. They all died. Yeah. <laughs> so then I was like, what can anyone do? I know. Write about politics. <laughs> <laughs> True. I, I can come up with some hot takes. Oof. Uh, so yeah, I thought I thought we could pull into speculation station oh, yeah? and decide for everyone <laughs> <laughs> what kind of man this was. Right? Yeah. Uh, we had like one source say that he was known as a womanizer in life. Oh. Another source said there was nothing to indicate that he was any sort of stud in life. Okay. So those are very conf- conflicting pieces right. of information. Right. Um, and then of course we have the trial saying that he was just this heavy that came into just intimidate He was people. a bruiser, yeah. Yeah, for the writer. Like, maybe he wasn't even a writer at all. Oh, he was wow. just there to be, like, hulking in the background uh-huh. as this guy, like, you, uh-huh. better, you better sign that statement, you know, kind of <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> So, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think he was, do you think he punched Pierre in the face? Do you think that he was this womanizer? Look, we're in Speculation Station, right? Yeah, we're well, in Speculation Station. We're safe here. I'm going to say definitively mm-hmm. that, first of all, seems... It's dubious for, again, the imperial government at court to decide that this guy was some bruiser who went around beating people up for no reason. So I'm saying in terms of the punch, absolutely not. He had no idea what was happening. Pierre, like Pierre said, oh, look, a baguette. And like pointed over there (laughs) and he turned around. Victor turned around and he said, I don't see a baguette. And we turned back around. Pierre punched, sucker punched him right in the face and then shot him. Wow. That's what I'm saying happened. And then in terms of him being a lover boy, um, you know what? I like that uh, in, in the afterlife, he's getting all this action at his gravesite. Mm-hmm. So I think I think he was not a stud. No. I think he was just like a quiet, shy little dude, mm-hmm. wrong place, wrong time. And now he's just gifted with getting grinded on for all eternity. <laughs> <laughs> like that story. That's my story. I like story. that story. Yeah. It's harder to think about a guy who would go around and intimidate witnesses and stuff. Right. That was just kind of just some asshole. Right. Who punched a prince in the face and yeah. got shot in the street. Now getting all these hot French ladies. That's no. not cool. No, nobody likes that. <laughs> 
Um, so I like that. Let's say definitively that Victor deserves this, this, these tributes. <laughs> right. Definitively, speculatively. Speculatively. That's our, that's our answer. We're sticking to it. <laughs> and the noir estate the... is welcome to correct us. Right. The Bonapartes, we're not going to hear it. Sorry, you guys are too. You. <laughs> you guys are too shady. Can't trust it. What's funny too is just this. I mean, literally, these were guys just writing letters, and they decided right. to have some really insane real-world consequences right. for saying just some strong words. Yeah. But on the other hand, strong words are strong words. You, they do hurt. So yeah. you know, it's it's a lot like the slap we're all talking oh, about now. God. I guess no. When is it okay to be violent or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure anyway. everyone in the world is <laughs> is well qualified to chime in. Definitely. Definitely well qualified. Here's what I want to hear from. And and this this is probably homework for our listeners out there. Mm-hmm. I wanna know of those folks who've been grinding up on this statue, what was the outcome? Ooh. Did you all get married within the year? Yes. Did you have a crazy sex life from then on out? Mm-hmm. Do, do you do you walk into a bar and say, hey, I like to grind on statues. And then you have like your pick. Everybody is like, well, whatever you want then, you know, because <laughs> I mean, if, you know, a girl walked up to me and she was like, I mean, hell, I'll just hump a statue if it's in front of me. Like, I'm going right. to at least follow up with a few questions. <laughs> so it probably does improve your sex life to some degree. Right. Do people get pregnant? Right. From the, statue? From the statue? Has anybody had a little statue baby? A little oh bronze God, statue baby? Imagine? Have they oxidized? Are they uh, are they vertigree? <laughs> no? Look, these are the questions I need answers to. So yes, please. if you've ever grinded up on Victor Noir, yes. I want to know what happened afterwards. Right. Did, does it work? I feel like but probably so many people do it just to do it. Yeah. So do you think you have to have the intention also in your mind I in think, order for it to work? I think, it's, I think with magic like that, you can't mess around. It's, okay. If you do it, it'll it's going to happen. It'll happen no It's going to happen, yeah. All right. Well, then yep. uh, we need to hear from you if you've gone to Père Lachaise <laughs> and climbed up on this bulge. Right. I want to know more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So contact us. Um, our email address right now is ridicromance at gmail.com. That's right. Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at oh great, it's Eli. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And follow along the show at Ridic Romance on both those platforms as well. We got mm-hmm. lots of fun memes, announcements. Uh, you're gonna hear all about it. Totally. Um, don't forget to check out the brand new ridiculous show, Ridiculous News. That's right. With Mark Kendall and Bill Worley, two amazing Atlanta comedians. Yes, we know them a little bit personally, and they're yes. awesome people. Super cool. So they make they... a lot of really great comedy as well. So yes. check out their show. Their videos, Mark Kendall's, I think it's called Mark Kendall Comedy, yeah. their channel, and it's very, they're very good. So. Amazing. Amazing. Very stuff. happy to have them in the Ridiculous family. That's right. Thanks again to at Sam C. Combs, Samantha M., uh, for this suggestion. This was such a fun story to kind of dive into. It was so weird and <laughs> funny and random. And yes. I'm so glad we got to look at this and revisit our favorite place, Pear Lachaise. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so thanks again, Samantha. And thank you all for listening. And don't all forget right. to tune next week. We'll have some exciting new episodes. Yeah. And we'll catch you then. Love you. Bye. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought 
in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.